Hello, happy new year, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings, our first podcast of 2022. I'm Jenny Silverstein, and I'm with my dear friend from Ladue Junior High, Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal. If you are joining us for the first time and you're wondering what this is all about, Carrie and I are two friends who can no longer sleep at night. So we decided the best thing to do would be to create a podcast about what we and others think about when we can't sleep. So as we like to say, let's get ready to ramble. That a girl. That is our guest today, Lamora Katz. And Lamora is a mother of two amazing girls. And while she is originally from Michigan, she moved to Chicago 30 years ago. In 2007, she created Sorted Out Now, which is an efficiency consultancy for homes and businesses specializing in life transitions. By nature, she is the connector of people and resources. Namor is an event planner, co-chair of Event Committee for Israel Cancer Research Fund, which raises money for cancer research in Israel and for all humankind. And Lamore is the former co-chair of Highland Park After Prom, providing a free, safe, inclusive post-prom event for the senior class and their dates, which not only makes her generous, but brave. And for my part, I dance with this amazing bright light of a lady who always has the biggest smile and the most energy in the room. I'm so pleased to have her on the podcast today. Lamore Katz, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. So Lamore, it is the first podcast of the new year. So you may not be aware that in, even in 2022, we're doing the same damn thing, which is to ask what people think about when they cannot sleep. So Lamore, what do you think about when you can't sleep? I would say most recently, um, in the last two years, really, um, I think about my mom, my parents, um, they're in Michigan, I'm in Chicago, and they're getting older. And in the last little bit, my mom's health has deteriorated and there's been a lot of changes that they just weren't prepared for. Um, and so it's funny, I'm a realist. Um, I've had some real lessons in my life at, at a younger age. And I kind of brought it to their attention before they were getting older, kind of like, what's your, what's your plan? You know, this was probably when they were in their, you know, early seventies. And I talked to them and I was shocked to find that they didn't have a plan. And so I tried to like, broached the subject and they were very hesitant. These are people that were always young and active and traveled and in denial and looked fabulous. And, you know, it just wasn't, they weren't ready for it. And then disaster started to happen, you know, health and, you know, you can't always plan what's gonna happen. And it was one thing after another, after another, and then you layer in COVID. And all of a sudden I'm helping them navigate this really uncharted territory and it's a lot. And I would say emotionally, I'm dealing with two more kids. They're just not ready. And I have my own kids, right, that I'm dealing with their, <clears throat> their issues, which are age appropriate. So it's tough. It's really tough. I wake up every night <laughs> at three and I start kind of spinning. Um, my mom is now in an assisted living facility. Health issues probably, you know, on and off for years. Really, I think that the catalyst to this last major piece was um, mom had had a stroke in two, uh, 2017, three days before my second marriage. And um, this was her second stroke. Actually, her first stroke was 20 years before. 
which was really early. Wow. Um, and it left her truly, she was very, very lucky. She was 99% totally fine. Other than when she was really tired, you could see some deficiencies. So the second stroke at an older age, obviously had more impact, right? And so, um, she had the stroke, doing PT, realizing that she's not bouncing back from this the way she was, but she was still independent. <clears throat> Fast forward um, to January, she fell because of one of the drop foot, which is one of the things that resided in the, uh, from the stroke, which she um, re refused to really address. She would do PT, but they said, you need a brace. And she said, oh no, <laughs> that's not glamorous. That doesn't work with the outfits. Is she a real glamorous, <laughs> is she like a real glamour puss like you? I mean, like, like for our listeners, Lamora is, she's hot, man. She's a hot baby. <laughs> and, 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 and I was, I'm just curious if your mom is similarly you know, dresses and does her makeup and does her hair and yes, a hundred percent. The clothing, the shoes. I mean, it's like it came out of couture. You know, mm -hmm. um, just the the such style, very mm -hmm. different. My mom was a fashion designer, actually. Oh my god! Yeah, okay. when I was a kid. So she's got this like style, and she's gorgeous, and um, you know walks into a room and for a while people thought that she was Miss Israel. She looked like a woman who was Miss Israel back in the day when she Is was she from Israel. Yeah. My parents are from Israel. Okay. Yes. Hmm. Originally from Israel came to the States at 23 after army service and stayed. Okay. Um, so all the family is, you know, not here. Okay. So yeah, gorgeous. So she tripped, fell, broke her hip. And needed hip replacement surgery. So this is January, just before COVID. February, she has the surgery. She goes into skilled rehab. And again, this is all new. My parents have never had something like this. So I'm, I'm in Cabo on my anniversary. <laughs> oh, my God. With our dance teacher, right? You're with Stacey. <laughs> Hi, Stacey. Okay, go on. Right, right. Um, and... <clears throat> And I'm trying to deal with like, what, where, where does she go? My parents have no idea. How do they care for her? They've never navigated this. So I'm on the phone in Cabo and I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to navigate, like, what do we do? So I find a place and, you know, I still have connections in Michigan, right? And so I have friends that are in that, in the elderly senior care. They tell me where to send mom, send mom there, blah, blah, blah. And she's there, she's getting rehabbed and whatever. And now all of a sudden COVID yeah and it's March and they're gonna send mom home in the next couple of weeks and I'm like no you better send her home now I get to Michigan I get mom out of skilled nursing literally a day before things closed down because oh, wow. if been in skilled nursing that would have been it yeah get her home and that's so kind of amazing that you got her out yeah it, it was a lot um thank you so you're supposed to continue with PT, but you can't do PT because everyone's on lockdown. So she's home and she's got the exercises at home. She's, her, her instructions are, you're supposed to walk with the walker. My mother is stubborn, it's all hell. And so she doesn't wanna walk with the walker. Things start to kind of open a little bit. Oh, I should say my mom is immunocompromised. She's also a kidney transplant recipient that she had like six years ago. So you have to be, you know, I'm thinking like, how, you know, what is the risk reward of her going to get PT? They're allowing her to go. Dad can't go in with her, but what's the, so we start a little bit in May, 
And, um, you know, that isolation at home, it's just the two of them, you know, there's no family there, their friends can't visit with them. And everyone's petrified. And in July, um, I'm getting my hair done. And my dad calls me and I don't answer because I'm under the blow dryer. And I listen and he says, call me back. Dad called me and said, I came home. I don't know what to do. Mom doesn't look good. She's totally out of it. I've asked her what she, what's going on. And she told me she took pills. Oh my God. Wow. To which I answer while in the hairdresser chair in Chicago, call 911. Yeah. Yeah. But this kind of shows you that, 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 that dynamic, that I don't know what to do. What do I do? Call me, the daughter in Chicago. This is my father who's a wise, you know, independent man, had his own successful business. But when it comes to this, is like a child. Yeah. And this has kind of been that dynamic, you know, where they don't know what to do. And so they come to me, which I feel good about that I can help them. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of pressure. So long story short, you know, she went and um, they, she overdosed on pills. And then they didn't know what to do, where to take her. They ended up sending her back to skilled rehab. Long story short, that damage was irreversible. My mother, who was so depressed about her situation, where if you think about this gorgeous, glamorous woman who is dressed and for the most part can walk by herself and, you know, brush her teeth by herself and make a salad by herself, all of a sudden this, this change, she now she's wheelchair bound. Because of the drugs. Yeah. And she has not been able to recover. So it wasn't even the stroke or yeah. the broken hip. It, it was, was, oh my God. Wow. Wow. So when you're under the hairdryer and you get the call from your dad, what is going through your mind aside from, you know, call 911? Um, problem solving. Like I get that burning sensation in my tummy, but it's problem solving. Like I am a problem solver and I get frustrated when I can't solve a problem. So it just became like, it's almost as though I was like making an outline for myself in my brain. Okay. What do I do? Right. Who do I call now? I, like I, you know, like I said, I'm very resourceful. I still, my parents still have friends there that are in the medical field. Like I, I have a connection. I have their telephone numbers. Like, even though it's years, I haven't spoken to them. I feel completely comfortable picking up that phone and saying, okay, this is a situation. What do you think? So, yeah. So it was problem solving. Where do we take her? Do we put her in a geriatric psychiatric um, program? But, you know, at this point, she's 80 years old. And she's stuck in her ways. Like, what is that going to do? Like, you, you think about, here's a person who is just so depressed and so miserable. Like, do you really want to put them in a program of like eight hours of, hours of therapy a day? You know, I don't know what you, how much you know about Israelis, but they don't believe oh, yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it? I don't have to uh, say tell, it. Me, tell our listeners, tell our listeners, because I don't get it. Okay. So Israelis are incredibly stubborn people. Yeah. They don't believe, um, they're not weak. Okay. They're not going to show it. Um, going to a therapist or a psychiatrist or having to lean on like medication for, for, for just help getting through. That's just not in their MO. 
you know, yeah. and think about it, like the mandatory army, you know, the kids are 18, 19 years old. I think my daughter is 21. I'm thinking about like my daughter and how she would deal being in the army. There's no, you know, and you think about just being nervous. There's no time for that. Like you can't be anxious. You can't say, oh, I would like to take like a, a Lexapro and feel better. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think of just this glamorous, beautiful woman who then all of a sudden just falls. And when you think about why she took the pills in the first place or what was going on with her, what are your thoughts knowing your mom? Um, that's the heartbreaking part, right? Because at that point, like she was in denial that she was getting older. Like you said, Jenny, I mean, it's hard for us all, you know, I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and, and she was, known, like I said, she was, the, I mean, she looked, they thought she was Miss Israel this one particular year before I was born a long time ago, but she was that gorgeous and she's still really beautiful. So, I mean, it's gotta be so hard. And then it's heartbreaking because while I'm navigating there and I'm cutting forward a little bit, but while I'm navigating everything from her meals to her PT and OT to, you know, um, caregiver and, and, and giving her structure in her day and whatever, like, I feel so bad. This beautiful woman, she's, she's in depends. She wakes up wet every day. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrible. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Right. And I want to kind of, I, I'm, I'm real. I give her like a structure to her every day, but just thinking as a, 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 as a woman myself who really cares about how I look, I'm vain. I'm the first person to admit it. I want to hold on to whatever I have. It's got to be really, really hard that all of a sudden she's in this horrible, horrible situation and she doesn't look herself, feel herself, you know, nothing is glamorous. Terrible. Character. It's almost like, it's funny because I've been thinking a lot about TikTok. I, bear with me. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about TikTok and Instagram and all these things my daughter is, is sort of investing her time in. And how concerned I am that these unrealistic expectations are being set for her. And in a way, when you think of it, I, I believe it's great that we all work out. I think you know, it, you and I have talked many times about what we can do to keep our skin lover, loverly. Um, <laughs> but the question is, does all of that trying to avoid or slow down aging make us think that we really can stop it? And does that conceit, that belief that we can stop it somehow fuck us up? Excuse my cussing. Does it bother you if I cuss? Not at all. <laughs> okay. So, so. I, that, that's really my question. Jenny asked it and, and you sort of answered it. I just want to clarify. Do you think that that is why she did it? Did she do it because she was like, I thought I could keep myself from aging and I can't? Or do you think she felt like I can't be a person who asks for help from people or all of the above? Like what, what, what took her down, do you think? I think it's all of the above. And I think it's the fear of realizing that she has some sort of disabilities. And at that time, if I look at where she is today versus where she was when she tried to overdose um, or did over, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, I think about it's so much worse now, but I think 
those conversations that I tried to have with them when they were in their early 70s and they were like, no, no, no. And I remember they were like, no, we can't go into a senior, like an independent senior community. We're too young. Like when we're like 80, we'll think about it. I'm like, you know, I think just that emotional realization that, that um, what would you call it? Um, Epiphany. I think realization sounds like the right word. Yeah, and they were in such denial and, you know, I look at it, my father is 100% independent, okay? He lives by himself. We had to move him into an apartment because that was part of the other crazy thing that going, you know, thinking about planning and like, what, what are they, the money for the care that they need? I mean, they had to sell their home, you know? Everything happened so quickly. You know, mom tries to commit suicide. She needs to go into a home. My dad is petrified of bringing her back at home. Right. And now she has these disabilities. She's in a wheelchair. Like the home wasn't prepared for it. How are we going to do this? The thing that I was thinking about is that even if you do prepare, <clears throat> you can't really. Because aging, the way I have experienced it so far and the way I've watched it with my friends' parents, I mean, as you know, my stepfather, who I was very, very close to, had Alzheimer's. We knew he had Alzheimer's. But like the way it shifted and when it shifted and how fast it shifted, the moment, you know, we had caregivers in the home and we had prepared and he had, you know, all of the, you know, finances in order and everything. And then suddenly he was like, went from being able to do that to not. And suddenly my mom could no longer take care of him and he needed to be in a facility. And we're like, what? <laughs> you know, like we thought we were so prepared. So I think number one, I just want our listeners and myself, and I'm telling this to you really as just your friend, there's there's a lot of planning that can happen, but then there's a lot of planning, just like with children, you can't anticipate the problems that are going to come up. And to that end, I was going to ask you, what, what was your relationship like with your mother prior to this? And how has it changed? Obviously, you're more of a caregiver now, but has, has what was it like prior, if you don't mind talking about it? No, no. It's, well, and that's one of the other things that keep me up the relationship with my parents, with my mother and my father. So I'm the oldest of three um, by 18 months. <laughs> so not really the old, I mean, but, and um, very different kind of relationships. So my sisters were our twins. And um, back then twins was like a novelty. It wasn't like all this IVF. So it was like a really special thing, right? And my parents, um, as beautiful as my mother was, my father was equally as handsome. I mean, just amazing. They'd walk into a room and it was like these superstars, right? He had this blonde, white hair, big brown eyes, you know, great build. And they looked you know, amazing and always dressed to, to perfection. You know, my mom made sure. And now there's these twins and everyone's like, wow, twins. And I'm, I'm older by 18 months. And um, I was excluded a lot, um, a lot. And I was also dumped on a lot. What I'm trying to say is I was an emotional orphan and none of them are feely, touchy people. They all live in this fantasy world. I actually thought quite honestly, and Carrie, I don't know if you know this, but when I moved to Chicago, 22 at 23, I started suffering from a severe, severe anxiety, depersonalization. And my therapist, who I'm still with to this day, taught me that it was from all these feelings that I had for so long thinking like, I'm crazy because everyone in my house lives in this fake bubble 
they're so unrealistic and it doesn't matter what's really going on. I have one of, one of my sisters tried to kill herself when she was 13. Oh and my I, God. Yeah. And my mother stayed in Israel and I became the caretaker. So this is so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, you were in, <laughs> your mother was in Israel. Your family was here in America, yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Your sister at 13, you're 14, tried to commit suicide. Yep. Um, and you were the caregiver because your father yeah. was sort of emotionally unable to, I'm guessing. Yeah. And my mother didn't come back. My mother stayed on the trip. She was on a trip. Yeah. What did your sister, I mean, when we can cut all of this, to, but what did your sister yeah. do? Like, was it? Aspirin. She tried, she took 13 aspirin. So, so similar to what your mom did later. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Right. And why do you think she did that? She was miserable. I mean, she's got problems, but she was miserable and she wanted attention. And that became, my father became petrified. So that, so they used to say, my father would feed her. My mother would feed the other one. And I was on my own. And my one cousin was like, well, who took care of me more? And they're like, oh, she figured it out on her own. Like, and that's kind of what I want. Right. And then my one sister tries to take, it's the one that my father was like this with. And um, my father became petrified that she would do it again. And then the other one was like, oh, this is the way to do it. I'm going to act out. And so she threatened to do it. So oh, everybody petrified. And then there's me. And I'm like, okay, can we talk about the, the, the elephant in the room? And I wasn't that much older. It's so important what you're saying, because, you know, again, what you resist persists. And, and then the, the whole idea that, you know, denying what you feel, you know, will not make it go away. It'll, it'll only ensure that, things never get resolved. And, you know, that's what therapy is. And I'm so glad you have a therapist that you're still with that was able to get underneath that because so many people, I think, just keep replaying that pattern over and over and over that they, it's a blueprint from their childhood. You know, if everything looks good, everything will feel good. Okay. Like everything is crumbling on the inside here because nobody's processing any feelings or what's really going on. And, you know, it's all about the way things appear, right? And it's one of the themes in English, English literature, appearance versus reality. Like if everything looks good on the surface, then it is okay. You know, it's sort of like fake it till you make it until you can't make it. Well, that's a really interesting point, Jenny, because I'm thinking about what was going on in your mother's mind, perhaps, when she took those pills. And I'm, it, it, it really is that to, to that point exactly. I mean, we've talked about it in different ways, but it's almost like suddenly after all this time in her life, and tell me if you think this is true, Lamar, whether it be her looks or whether it's just the facade of happiness or whatever it may be, the facade of a perfect family, whatever it is, suddenly she's just human. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I think that's exactly what it was and just afraid. So you asked me a question though about yeah. uh, my relationship. So, you know, again, I did work, I worked through this, you know, for years and years and years, but I really, when you asked me what was the relationship, it was a tough one. Um, there were, I was the safe one. So my mother would, she was, what I've understood now is this, seeing her in the situation that she's now in, um, my father and I are safe. So she would 
verbal vomit on us. She would cry. She would act out. She would um, become manic and go between calling my father and calling me. And, and the things she would say to us were sometimes horrible, horrible. She also said this to me, you know, things like she was very open to be that way with me when I was younger, but older, I started to see I, I was a safe place. She would never, ever, ever act that way with my sisters, not when they were younger and now not when they're older. So where I could say to you, well, it was abusive. It was abusive. But I think for her, it was also where it was safe and where she knows that I could get through. She knows I'm a problem solver. My, what's gone on in my life, my adult life with my previous marriage and how to raise my children alone and no financial support and all that kind of stuff. She saw how I, how I sorted it out. Um, and, and she knows I'm resourceful. So where I used to say, God, it's abusive. I, I don't want to talk to her. It's so mean. Why can't she treat me like she treats the other two? She doesn't love me. Now I look at it like she does this because she feels safe. Yeah. And, it's a compliment. Yeah. I, I was just going to say how incredible it is that you came from this family and you, you kind of describe it as like you were sort of on the outside and, and they were kind of living in this bubble and you, instead of kind of joining the bubble, you were able to somehow, and, and again, through, you know, whatever avenues you took, you were able to be a selective sifter and sift through what was not real and what was sort of the denial and then become resourceful at sorting it out and, and, and working toward a solution. And I think that so many people live in that denial and they never understand, they never get beneath it to understand what is actually happening in the family system. Jenny, I think you're hitting the nail on the head here is that it's interesting. Here you grew up, you're saying you had anxiety, severe anxiety, Lamore. Yeah. Um, you're the only one who's feeling anything, but you're also the only one who can solve anything. Yeah. It's almost like in order to solve anything, you need to be able to feel and experience the world around you. And if you can't, you're stuck. Yeah. And when something happens, then when you age, like we all will, like dysfunctionally, what I mean by you're no longer able to function on your own, for example, or you need help and you cannot be this facade of a person. You can't keep the facade up. When that moment hits, you have to be able to deal with that pain. Yeah. And if you can't, you know, you kind of are fucked. <laughs> because especially, especially when you think about it at 75, when you've done that your whole life, think of, I think about secrets kept. And you think about secrets kept, let's say until you're 10. That's hard. Let's say you know something you're not, you saw something you weren't supposed to see. That's hard to keep that. But to, to keep a secret, which is essentially what keeping that fantasy going was. Yeah. Till she's 75, that would mess you up. No? Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, yeah, if people. Jenny's going to make me sound not as smart right now because she's going to be really smart. And <laughs> oh, my God. No, I think that what you just said was absolutely like so spot on and brilliant, actually. I, I just think that, you know people don't want to hear the truth because they have this illusion of what is going on and they don't want their illusion destroyed, you know? And um, you, I, I'm just imagining your mom and she just, she sounds like 
you know, I know so many people like that, you know, that hold on to that, what they want to believe that narrative, you know, until um, they don't have what Carrie's talking about, like the coping mechanisms to handle and to deal with when the rubber hits the road and they're alone and it's COVID and she's fallen and you have to do these exercises and your dad's there and he can't provide emotional support and your sisters are away and you're in another state. And then what else to do but that? Now, I deal with a lot of people who have overdosed or who have, and it's, it's, um, it's this type of, you know, tunnel vision mentality. And it's, if, if people are, who are listening have that type of mentality, I would just say the best thing to do is to reach out and talk about what's happening, whether that's be to a friend, to a therapist, um, whatever it may be. And that's um, what Lamore's parents is right there. You just said it. That was the one thing you said your parents would not do. They don't ask for help. Right. But the funny thing is they still need help. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. You're still picking up the pieces. They're just not asking necessarily, or there's no choice, but to pick up the pieces, which right. is what my next question is for you. So why after all this time and all this feeling like an emotional orphan, and by the way, I just want to give a shout out to the amazing therapist. We've talked about her and I don't know if it's okay. And I don't know her name, but I know she's like a second mother to you. And I feel like she, that shows you the power of connection, whether you're blood or not. So I just want to give a shout out to that amazing woman. But um, what made you decide, you know what? I'm not going to leave my mom hanging because you could have. Um, I definitely could have, you know, um, I have friends who, you know, I would talk to and they'd say like, you know, my parents, my this, that, they were horrible to me. And I said, forget it. I cut them out. You know, I am that person. I, I'm a nurturer. Mm -hmm. I'm a fixer. I would help strangers. I have helped strangers many times. Um, And this is my mom. These are my parents. I am estranged from my sisters and that's totally fine. I'm okay with that. I can go to my grave with that. But my mother and my father, like, I, I, I just, if I would do it for a stranger, I would do it for my parents. And so how did you do that? Because that is very impressive to me right there. I, I want to get to the bottom of that little number. And Jenny, maybe you can chime in and help me understand it. Right there, when you have felt, you use the word, I think you use the word, kind of emotionally abused. Yes. And, yeah. and not... Um, nurtured, it sounds like. It sounds like you were like left out. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. 100%. No, I mean, how do you have, I get that you would have the compassion for strangers, but they actually were not strangers. They were, it was your mother who hurt you. And I'm not telling you not to do it. I think you're living your moral truth. You're, you you are such a kind person that you're living your moral truth. And, and you're, you've decided that it's better to live your moral truth than to leave your mother hanging. But how does that anger not take over? Because I feel like I'd be so pissed off. Um, that's an interesting. So I'm, I'm stuck. I think dichotomy is the right word. Like there's two parts of me, right? There's the compassion and wanting to fix it. And then there's a part where I'm so angry and I'm so hurt. And there have been times, and I don't want to cry now, but there's been times while I've been problem solving this, this disaster, what's been happening, this whole upheaval since she tried to commit suicide and all 
the, 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 everything from selling the place and the things and whatever, where I've found myself sitting in a car crying so hard, like how unfair, like they're still giving my sisters like all of this stuff. Like I'm just, I'm stuck. Mm. I, I just, I'm st sometimes I, because the behavior, the abusive behavior, it's continuing because that's all they know. Right. And I see it and I get so angry and I, 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 and my husband, he looks at me and he goes, I think you're crazy. Like, you know, are you, are you compassionate and taking care of them? Because you are that there's a, fr a phrase in, in Hebrew, I'll translate it, the good girl from Jerusalem. Okay. And it's kind of like, I'm going to be the good girl so that you, you know, you're not going to be upset. And he asked me, are you, do you continue to do this? But then you get so angry and so hurt because that's what you want. Or are you doing it for you? And I can tell you wholeheartedly, I'm doing it for me, but I see, I still see the abuse. I still see that I'm being treated like, you know, like an outsider. I still see the unfairness. It's so, I mean, their behavior to me was so unfair even today. And I'm 52 years old and it's not right. And I know that, and I will never treat my two girls like that ever. I, I, I just feel I'm what, what I'm so thankful for, for you is that you had an amazing therapist to help you come to this recognition a, along with, it sounds like a great new partner and you, you know, really took your anger, which was uh, very valid in such a dysfunctional situation. I think what you're talking about is, and I deal with this all the time in my practice, is helping children who are now adults set boundaries with their parents in a compassionate way where they are not um, continuing that dysfunctional pattern. And so you have to find, there's no right way, but you have to find a way where you limit your uh, time with them, you problem solve with them, and you come to sort of a compassionate place where, you know, conversations need to be very short and brief and direct problem. And I believe that's probably why you developed this amazing company to sort things out. I just wonder, I guess, with all of that on the other side of it, since you did reach across the aisle, how does it feel to you now? It feels good. It, are you asking, like, how does it feel to help them? Yeah. Yeah, it feels really good, actually. Um, it feels really good. And it's interesting that you just said boundaries. This summer was, I called it the summer of boundaries. And that was something I was really working on and setting boundaries. And because I could tell that, you know, I need to, my kids need me, you know, they do. Um, I'm very blessed. They have a wonderful relationship with my husband. He's an amazing stepfather and, um, they're all very, you know, they're very, very close and he's been there for them <clears throat> because I've kind of been my, my focus. There were no boundaries and it was all encompassing. And we, we, we call this story. Um, my mom's name is Neely and we call it now Neely land. So yeah. I'm Neely land. And so, you know, and my, and my husband and my kids, while they respect that I was in Neely land or am in Neely land, they need me. So um, the summer of boundaries, yes. And I'm still working on them. I really am. And that's something I work with, with my therapist, my emotional mother. Um, you know, she reminds me all the time. She always says, we need you. You know, you've got to kind of, you, you, you can't be so 
uh, enmeshed in it. That's why things have to be shorter, as you said, Jenny, you know, boundaries. Um, my visits when I go, um, you know, I'll go, but I won't go, I'll go like every two months and I'll do what I need to do. And then I'll, I, I wait with it. Um, it feels good. It feels very good to help them. Um, it's, it's at the end of the day for myself. And I want to know that when they cross over, I did everything. And I think it's also a great teaching tool. I think I'm, you know, when I think about my, my mother's relationships or my father's relationships with their parents, with my grandparents, now, mind you, my grandparents were in Israel. Um, and I did spend my summers there until I was 19, but you know, I would, I'd have summer relationships with them, but we didn't have, you know, there was not like FaceTime, there wasn't even Skype, you know, there wasn't email. Um, but I look at the way they were with their parents and I don't like it at all. And I feel like I am breaking that story and I'm teaching my children that this is what we do with boundaries. I'll, I'll use that with a lot of clients. Like I have one, you know, who has the religious mother that called it Lord land or, you know, <laughs> whatever land, wonderland, whatever, Alice in wonderland, we're all. And if you name it, if you name what it is, you have that awareness. And it's like, right when you can name, Oh, I'm entering Neely land or, or Lord land, or, and I'm going to hear the sermons, or I'm going to hear the fake, whatever, you know, I'm going to hear. And, and I know that going into this door because I'm entering this land. And um, knowing that is very freeing because it, it really defines the rules of the game. And if you don't know the rules of the game, you feel it's crazy making, it's chaotic. And you feel like you're drowning in like a, a land that makes no sense. So naming the land and then being able to set boundaries the way you talked about. And I like, I always like um, using Biff and it's, it's like, you know, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So brief, you know, comments, you know, that are informative, uh, friendly tone, but firm. And, you know, and then you, you kind of are taking control of that wheel and you can navigate through the land. And then you get to leave the land and go back to your land where things make sense, which thank God, right? I absolutely love that. In fact, I, without being too specific, am going to use that in my own life and we can put <laughs> offline. But anyway, <laughs> I love that. Um, Biff is going to be like pasted everywhere yes. at my whole house. But what I was going to say that is really coming clear to me is that and maybe I'm just a very angry person. So maybe that's why I'm so impressed with you more. But um, it's interesting to me because what I see you having done was really putting your emotional peace, your sense of emotional peace above your needing to be angry. And I find that really like profound because I, I really do, because I think to myself, so many people, including myself, like would be like, I'm going to, you know, honk my horn at that person who just cut me off. I'm going to honk it and I'm going to honk it. And what you've done is you're, you're like, you know what? That's not good for me. I mean, good for you. Like, good for you. I'm not saying you don't cry in your car and that you're not still <laughs> sad about it. How did you know when it was time to get help? So um, I 
when I, I moved to Chicago three weeks after graduating from Michigan State. And um, it was funny, I had actually wanted to go and do army service. Um, I had friends in Israel. I mean, if you remember, I, I spent my summers there. But then at that point, and my parents said, no, you're, you're, you're first going to go to university. And then if you want to go to army, you'll go to army. But by then I was 21 years old. My friends were already getting out of the army. You know, my girlfriends, it's two years. So I said, forget it. But I knew I had to escape because living being so close, even though I was in East Lansing for four years for school, but I knew that the family dynamic was toxic. I knew that it was, something was wrong. Um, I knew that my feelings of feeling like an outsider looking in, they didn't feel good. I just knew I had to go away. And so I literally was the first one of all of my friends, I basically came back second semester and I said, I'm moving to Chicago when we graduate. And the kids, were, my friends were like, what? And I'm like, I, I gotta get the hell out of here. So I wasn't gonna go do army service. And I was like, I had visited here and I was like, I love it. And I had traveled a lot as a kid. So I loved like the big city. I was, I moved here alone. I met my first roommate through a mutual friend in a bar in Michigan and I moved in with her. I mean, it was a studio apartment. I said, I don't care, I'm getting the hell out. I knew I had to get out. I had to have separation and I came here. And when I think about my daughter, who is, you know, a senior in college, and I think about like what I did and what, what I look at her, I'm like, holy shit. Like I was really a baby, but like I knew something was wrong. And I came here and my parents did support that, but they didn't support my choices, my career choices. And so they would punish me. And so basically they, I would have to, you know, they would, we didn't have cell phones, there were landlines, but I wouldn't get really get telephone calls. I was cut off financially. And I was like, okay, well, this is wrong. Um, and that's how, and then the anxiety started and all of that, but it had started from, you know, I needed a safe place to be for the anxiety to come up. Um, it was, it was, what did they call it? Fight or flight. And I had to leave. Um, and that's where I found my emotional mother. So I knew it was time to get out. I will say one thing. When I found my emotional mother, and I really was an emotional infant, no one had ever nurtured me, ever. And it's funny because now I'm, I mean, I've been with her for, you know, 28 years. And so we have a very, very, very special bond. Very. Someone will say it's not ethical, whatever, because we're that tight. Um, I think in a past life, we definitely were connected. We had to because there's no way that we could be that close. But that's a different story. But she used to say to me, you know, when I was little and I'd be going through everything and it was so hard to really grow and, and understand it. She'd say, I am preparing you for later in life. When your parents get older, I want you to be at a point where you have no regrets. And she really, and I couldn't, under, my, my 23 year old self, my 30 year old self, my 40 year old self couldn't understand it. It really took me to emancipate emotionally from my parents and their disapproval until I got divorced from my ex-husband. And I said, if I'm not taking this bullshit from him, I can't take this from my parents, even though they're blood. But this has been a path. It's been my, it's, it's, it's my story. It really does speak to who you are. And I just, I know we've taken so much of your time, but before we let you go, I just have to, I have to do it to you. We're, we're going to the hot flash round. All right. Which best describes your approach to aging? A, 
let nature take its course, B, color inject or cut me open as is necessary, or C, all of the above? B. <laughs> I vain. I love you. What's interesting though, and the difference between you and your mom is that you're doing that, but you know that you're growing older. You're just trying to make it the best growing older it can be. And God love you. Okay. Which do you prefer puberty or menopause? Puberty. You and me are the only ones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate menopause. I hate it too. I hate it. Everyone. Okay. Pick one screens or no screens. No screens. What is the best thing about insomnia? Facebook, reading, articles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's going to be awfully hard when you say no screens, but okay. What is is the worst thing about insomnia? Worrying that the next day I'm going to be a wreck and mean. (laughs) Yeah. What is the best and worst thing about having kids? The best thing. Oh my God. I could sit here for hours. I mean, giving them the right balance of what I didn't get, but knowing boundaries and just delighting in them, delighting, watching them grow, being able to really be there with them and nurture them um, because those are things that I didn't get, but within boundaries. And that my emotional mother taught me also. Um, And the worst thing, worrying and wanting to make it better, right? I'm a fixer. So if I see something, I go to worry because that's what we do as moms. We worry. And then I I go to fix mode. And sometimes my older one is telling me now, you can't always fix it. Just listen. So that's that's hard. That's bad. Yeah. And God, like you raised a child that is smart enough to tell you that. God love you. Um, what, has been, <laughs> <laughs> what has been the most surprising thing about being middle-aged? I would say when I thought about middle-aged, I always thought like, oh God, wrinkles and whatnot, but I didn't think about clarity and I didn't think about confidence and security for myself within myself. And I kind of like that. I love that. If you had to pick one word, a cuss word or otherwise to describe middle age, what would it be? Roller coaster. Fair enough. Man, hot flashes on, hot flashes off. I got it. I got, I'm with you. That is great. Memore, I just have to say, first of all, you're inspiring me because I have been having, this is just an aside, but I have been having this like fight with myself about social media and children and what it's doing and the, the images it's putting out there. And I keep thinking that there should be a force of women. Like we should do a, a reality challenge and have everybody like go out there and say, this is what it really looks like to wake up in the morning. And this is what it looks like on Facebook. <laughs> you know, This is what it's like to be married 40 years. And this is what it looks like on Facebook or TikTok or whatever. And so maybe we're going to have a midnight ramblings reality challenge that we're going to put out maybe this year in the new 2022, because you're inspiring me as I'm talking to you, how important it is to let the fantasy go really. Um, But anyway, Lamore Katz, thank you so much for joining us. You were a pleasure and an inspiration. And to our listeners, thank you as well for joining us today. 
If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. To learn what we're all about, visit us at themidnightramblings.com where you too can become a fansomniac. And of course, be sure to tell your friends because your support is necessary to make this thing take off. So for the Midnight Ramblings, this is Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal and Jenny Silverstein. We want to take this opportunity to thank you all for joining us. Happy New Year, everyone. We wish you all the health and peace in the year ahead. We'll see you next week.